Welcome to the Creatives with AI podcast. I'm your host, David, and this is a show where we share insights about the future of artificial intelligence and how it will affect the lives of people working in the creative industries. On today's show, we chat with my friend Mike Nemirovsky, currently product manager at SEMrush. In our conversation, we touch on the role of tools like ChatGPT in improving productivity through tasks like summarizing information, AI's impact on product management, specifically around decision-making, data analysis, and documentation. And finally, the future of AI and work, considering UBI and AI's potential to create meaning in our lives. Mike is a highly accomplished professional with a strong background in data and building software products. With a deep understanding of how AI can revolutionize industries, Mike is driven by the challenge of using cutting-edge technologies to solve complex problems and drive business value. His expertise spans product management, behavioral analytics, machine learning, and software engineering, enabling him to implement innovative solutions and strategies. Beyond work, Mike is a three-time expat from the US to the UK and now to Spain, who's also passionate about music production, AI tinkering, and travel, all helping to foster creativity and a global perspective. As always, links to Mike's profile and social media will be in the show notes on our website, at creativeswith.ai. One quick note before we get started. I was so relaxed at the beginning of the conversation that I forgot to hit record. So I'll just drop you in at the point where I started recording. But don't worry, you haven't missed anything important. Thanks for listening, and I hope you enjoy this relaxed conversation with Mike. I do use it to support some of the activities like once it's been recorded, getting a transcript and then taking that transcript and summarizing that. Yeah, and really good at that. doing things like, you know, the summary of the podcast and then breaking that down into maybe social media posts and tweets and things like that. So there are some tools on the market actually that do that. You feed it your audio file yeah. and it literally goes away and does it all for you. Yeah. You know, it listens to the whole thing. And then in like 10 minutes, you literally have everything. You have your show notes, you have your transcript, yeah. you have, you know, 20 social media posts, you have LinkedIn, like everything. Yeah. And that, and that I think, it, you know, that's such a wonderful use case, right? Like that makes us more productive. Like for that, like, I think it's, I, I think ChatGPT has definitely hit on the ability to quickly summarize. I like it also for, you know, the blank page syndrome. Like, I don't even know where to begin here. Let me just ask ChatGPT to start. And it's such a good, like, spark of, of in, yeah, you start editing it and it gives you more ideas. And 100%. I, I, yeah, I love it. I think I haven't quite gone into, like, trying to get it to take over the world like some people try to do. <laughs> I think that's quite fun to, to see people try to do that, but. There was, a, there was an article that came out today. I don't know if you've seen it, but it was a U.S. Air Force general, I think, talking about how they were doing a test with just a, te- it's a test run, not an actual not an actual drone, but they basically had an AI and they were saying, you know, if we give the drone a goal of, you know, doing a particular task, then what happens? And, and maybe it was finding targets and doing things like that. And then they said they, they had the ability to tell it, no, don't do that target do something else. And when they told it no, it basically worked out that, well, that was keeping it from its goal. So it killed the operator. (laughs) Oh, Jesus. (laughs) Because the operator was stopping it. So they said, they changed the rule and said, okay, you can't kill the operator. And they ran it again. And what it did is it it took out the communication system so that the operator couldn't communicate with it to tell it no, so that it could accomplish its goal. So it was quite interesting to hear that. And the the funniest bit in the whole article was the official statement from the Air Force saying, no, we never ran a test like that. I don't know what he's talking about. 
which means 100% they ran the they test. They definitely ran the test, yeah. Oh, so, goodness, yeah. I think there are some ways it can happen in the future, obviously, but I do still think we're a long way from there because we still do have the ability to just turn it off. Yeah, that's absolutely right. And yeah, like I think, I mean, we, we, we touched on Sam Altman, right? And he just testified in front of Congress, right? You know, like last week or something like that from when we're recording this. But there's, a, there's for me, it's a lot of like, of course, I, and I don't want to feed any conspiracy theories, all that type of stuff. But of course, it makes sense for him and Elon Musk to ask for more regulation because that's a wonderful way to build a moat for any competition trying to get in. But come on, like... <laughs> We don't have to go very far to so many other moments in history where regulation does not stop the bad actors. It only slows down the actual good actors. It creates a bureaucracy. And so it's like, why regulate when you can innovate? Well, we all know the reason because innovation is hard. But I think that's the thing. So we're going to have to build these AIs that counteract potential bad actors. That's probably a, a much more likely scenario of stopping you know, bad behavior than government regulation, I think. You know, I love the memes on Instagram where it's like uh, war on drugs and weed one or something like that. You know, it's like it's we, we've we've gone through this many times before. Where like regulation usually just curbs like the good people and like bad people just keep doing what they want to do. And but I agree. Like I mean, yeah, ChatGPT at the at the moment is probably not going to start taking over the world or trying to kill people or any other you know generative AI model or any other AI model that we know of out there. But yeah, of course, it can get out of hand in the classic paperclip example, right? You tell it to, to make paperclips, it'll destroy the universe because it needs all the resources. And like, But I, I'm also kind of confident, well, maybe overly naive, that AI, you know, because, I mean, we, the other thing is like we put a lot of our biases and our morality into AI, which is kind of scary, but it, it might start learning how to be better at morality and better at... Uh, um, you know, at, at doing the right thing than we are. And I think it, there's two sides to that coin. Um, but uh, The question we'll that see. I often raise with ethics and that often comes up is whose ethics do we use? Exactly. Right. Different societies have different ethics. And, you know, the, the liberal Western European set of ethics is slightly different than the North American set of ethics, which is very different than the Middle Eastern set of ethics. Exactly. And who, whose ethics do you follow? I was at a, I was at an event last week called Fearless, and at the Fearless event, there was a lady who was talking about the fact. Was she talking about? She was talking about the fact that we shouldn't base it on ethics, at least in the beginning. What we should base it on is human rights, because there is a global agreement on human rights, but there is no global agreement on ethics. Exactly. So at least that should be the starting point. And then maybe we could build from there. So I thought that was quite interesting. Well, yeah, we always, you know, the, the classic philosophy um, example of the the train tracks, and you know, okay, you're gonna you know kill one for you know one person or, or three people. And I saw a funny meme just yesterday about like we always consider that we're the person at the switch, um, but in reality, we're one of the people on the track, like in the group of five or something like that. And the people with the money or whatever are the ones with the switch, and it's like. Um, exactly. And so that's what it's like. Oh, I can't wait for. I'm still a big fan of uh, self-driving cars, and I, you know it is taking longer than I think anybody wanted that to happen. Um, but yeah, like given the choice between a human making like that decision, and we have all this different bias, or like we 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 panic and all that stuff, and a machine that can process so much faster, and you know kind of only has the inherent bias that we put into it. But 
for the most part, doesn't have biases. It's just saying, what's the thing I should optimize? You know, at least it'll be more consistent, at least, or has a chance to be more consistent. So I agree, like things that we can agree on, like human rights is, is where we should start. What are the, what are like the, the basic principles that we know, you know, are, are, are worthwhile to optimize for? And then, yeah, then you have, then you can have multiple competing AIs for morality and all that type of stuff. And exactly. choose your own adventure, um, you know, which AI controls your local area or region or something like that. But, yeah, perfect. Yeah. yeah, exactly. That's, and that's kind of what Sam Altman was talking about. So I saw him in London and one of the things that he talked about was more of a federated type model where you have specialist AP, uh, AIs that are trained to do certain things like Wolfram is trained to do maths and- right. You know, chat GPT is trained to do generative language type models, but you could have one that's a, a physics mo uh, AI and you could have a chemistry AI or whatever. And then you have this controlling unit that's an AI itself. But what it does is, is it goes out and just finds the specialist APIs to answer whatever question or whatever task it is, or it can pull them together to do more complex tasks. Yeah. And in that model, that, again, I think in that model, you end up with, maybe you end up with different versions and that's where the ethics comes into it and the bias comes into it because you can custom tune those for your particular interests or you know ethics or yeah, area or region or whatever it is and then you know people can go and, and use those what i was going to say is the other interesting thing is that somebody pointed out and i hadn't really thought about this this is quite cynical but they said that it actually by OpenAI and some of the other companies encouraging the government to create regulations, they know that actually the act of creating the re the regulations is going to take a decade to do, and they can drag that process on as long as kind of possible. So it actually gives them more time to not have regulations if they get involved in the discussions and just keep the conversations going essentially infinitely that yeah. no one will ever actually decide anything and they'll be able to do what they want in the background. And I was like, wow, that's pretty cynical, but it's probably it's, accurate. It's probably true. And I mean, one thing that keeps coming to my mind, which is not directly related, but you know, something that impacted me in the, in the data space, GDPR, right? Like I, I'm sure in everybody out there is absolutely sick and tired of clicking on the accept cookies, but like that whole debacle probably could have gone a different way if the data industry kind of stepped in front and said, hey, this needs to be regulated instead of kind of, oh, let's keep kicking it down the can. Because that's the thing is, you know, the politicians, they're not specialists in this and they, they don't intend to be or anything like that. And the more you can start educating them early on to start noodling about what's important and at least um, push protection, that I think that is good. But yeah, it, it's quite interesting because by by that time, maybe they'll they'll be able to say, oh, actually, we're the AI is quite self-regulating. Here's the transparency that you want, like you know. But yeah, it, it's it's all still developing as well. I should um I should probably tell everybody that Mike and I've known each other for what 15 years or something now. We used to work together at a yeah. web analytics company in London, where and I think since then we've both been involved pretty much in every role that we've done has been involved in data in some way, whether it's data analytics or databases and that kind of thing. So our, our conversation may be a little bit more casual than, than some of the others that I've had, but that's totally fine. And I hope everybody's cool with that because I'm fine with it. One thing that you have been doing though, since, you know, since we work together is I think you've got more into the product kind of 
the product management side of things. And right. I'm curious, and, and one of the reasons that I, I certainly wanted to talk to you today is, how do you see AI working into the sort of product management process? Because I assume it is already, and that, you know, companies are using it and maybe you're using it. So maybe you can, you know, sort of explain a little bit about how you use it, if you use it today. And just in general, how do you see it impacting the industry? Yeah, I, I've started to use it. I, I think there's probably, there must be, although I don't know anyone specifically, but there must be teams out there. Well, I would hope ChatGPT, as an example, is, is you know drinking their own champagne, eating their own dog food as their product people would do it. The thing for me, and, and yeah, I, I have gone more into product management. I started with product management more in the data space and really just recently, my latest role has stepped away in, in a building a product that's not specifically data, although it's very data-driven as well. You know, the SEO world is where I'm at now, and like that is all data as well. Um, but yeah, as far as AI in product and, and how I'm using it, it's very, it's very lightweight for me right now. Um, I, I do use generative AI to to help, obviously, with, with writing documents, um, to help me summarize things very quickly. But where, where it can go, and I think this is pretty much universal for, for all industries as well, and this is where I've come to AI from, and, and I think I, I've spent a lot more time in the machine learning world, um, and you know we don't have to get into the, the specific differences there. But but really, like like you just said, we we come from a world of data, and it's like garbage in, garbage out. And the whole thing with why I don't think AI is as predominant in my industry as a product manager yet is well, you need a whole bunch of data to train your model, or right? you need or you need to train your models to train your AI to help you make good decisions. You can throw generic questions at ChatGPT now, or um, even you know, the ChatGPT4, or some of the other ones that have been coming out, which have a bit more up-to-date, let's say, data, but it's a bit recursive in that, like, well, the, you can just basically do a Google search and find the same information, and yes, it might come back with a slightly better uh, like response, and a bit more like human-like response, and you can tweak it and all that, it's great. But still, at the end of the day, if, if I'm trying to make product decisions and we're trying to make product decisions as a company as far as what is the most important uh, feature to build next or how do we prioritize this this competing list of, of you know, 50, 60 features that we want to get out the door and how do we get to the market faster? How do we compete with our competitors? Like All this stuff we can feed into ChatGPT, but it's really just going to spit back the same information that we would get um, by doing our own analysis. If we really wanted to use the power of AI, like we would have to really have all the data flowing in place, right? Like getting our, our data pipelines in place to say, yeah, here's all the information that we're capturing from our customers, including their actual behavioral analytics when they're on our, our site. Here's what they're saying across social media. Here's what the industry is saying. And and you start feeding that, but with a very directed purpose of, you know, and, and we want to build the best widget that does this. And I think you know, that is coming very soon. And I, I think it's stuff that like, I'm quite interested in seeing how it pops out. There's, there's gotta be someone out there right now building like the next product AI, but yeah, like I've been quite amazed as well. Um, I'm a big fan of Miro, so I'm going to give them a shout out, you know, just the other day I was, I was like, Hey, write me some user stories, but you know, and I gave it like a few bullet points and it was spot on. Like, and that's probably Miro itself in Miro itself. Yeah. They just released their, um, AI help, uh, and I, I don't know if they're using ChatGPT or which model they're using, or like you know, a proprietary one. But it was spot on. It, it wrote them in like the way a product, a good product manager would. It was very yeah. descriptive from the user's perspective, all that type of stuff. 
And that saves me like easily half hour, 45 minutes, right? And like multiply that throughout the day, it gives me more time to be a bit more creative, just to think about the, the harder problems. So it's starting to inch its way in. I think it will have big impacts if you can get, which is, you, you know as well as I do, it's it's been hard just to get the data pipelines flowing for just regular analytics. Like I just yeah. want to know how people, you know, how our ads are performing, what are people doing? Like yeah. companies struggle with that. And in, in a previous role, sorry, at uh, Comcast, NBCU, at Sky in the UK, you know, I was quite, quite close with the team, the data science team that was building the machine learning models to basically do better predictions and, and get people to watch longer and all that type of stuff. Um, and what was shocking to me, not that shocking, but what was really evident to me was like, wow, implementing this just really highlights organizational deficiencies in getting quality data end to end. And I'm not like, you know, I, I know the pain points. I've been both sides as a consultant, but also on the client side. So it's just not easy. Like software is hard. Uh, organizations, especially as they grow, are really hard to keep everyone on the same page. You end up having three or four or 20 or 300 different data systems. And like, there's there's good work in that space as well. Like things with like data contracts and all that stuff that, that a lot of people are trying to push for a bit more standardization. But that actually, that those like, starting principles are what are really going to pave the way for disruptive use of AI to, you know, to say, yeah, like you should, you should definitely do this. And this is why, um, as opposed to your competitor, um, that, that will be quite interesting to see. So I think that will come in the next, well, I don't want to make any predictions. I don't know, next year or two. It'll be quicker than you think. Oh, uh, exactly. I think I think it's it's one of those like um uh, yeah like uh, shooting up kind of graphs, right? Where like the hockey stick, yeah. the hockey stick, yeah. And um, so and then I mean like actual use uh, in our industry, SEO, uh, the industry I'm in right now, it's it's a huge debate, right? And like especially content writing, like. Um, but I, again, it goes back to first principles, and like the the search engines will still continue to penalize you if all you're doing is just spewing a bunch of chat GPT content because what they really want and what we all want from a search engine is to find relevant results. And so like, if you're not giving anything new, if you're not providing any value to the end user, you'll still get penalized and all that stuff. So I have an interesting story to, to, to add to that a little bit. Sorry to interrupt. No. I spoke to a lady yesterday who trains copywriters and people to write better. And what she's found is, I think she's trained I don't know, five or 6,000 people or something over the past few years. And she's now getting stories back where companies are using, so copywriters are writing content for people or, you know, they've been writing for someone for years and those people have gone back and they're now feeding all the stuff through an AI detection tool to say, hey, was this written by AI? What's happening is, is it's showing that things were written by AI before chat GPT was even available to the public. So yeah. articles from several years ago where this wasn't even a thing and no one even had access to it, it's misidentifying as written by AI Interesting. because yeah. professional writers can write really dense copy. Apparently that's the way it works. So that's now yeah. prompted me. So the, the, the lady's going to come on the podcast later. So she's going to come on in sort of towards the end of June, I think. But I'm now trying to find somebody from one of the companies. So shout out to anybody that's listening from one of the AI detection companies. If you're out there, reach out to me because I'd like to talk to you and understand how your tools work. Uh, yeah, because yeah, I've heard I've heard similar. Like they're not as accurate as maybe they're claimed, or not. Right. But 
again, is I think it's that recursiveness, right? Like, how does it, how can you really know? Like, at the end of the day, a sentence is a sentence. And exactly, like, there's, there's, no, like, yeah. there's no watermark. And yeah. they have talked about doing a watermark. But my, my point, which is something that we kind of touched on a little bit earlier, which is any, as soon as you say or regulate that it has to have a watermark, within 24 hours, someone will have a tool that doesn't put a watermark in yeah, or exactly. will remove, remove the watermark, the watermark yeah. that's in there. So it's a pointless exercise to do that. And personally, I'm talking a lot this episode, but that's okay. That's okay. Yeah, that's uh, conversation. Yeah. Personally, I think, I don't think it should matter if the content is actually good and it's what you want to say, who cares if AI wrote it or not? I, yeah. I don't think it should matter. And the, the position we're in at the minute is, is that AI is, I would say on, on average, better than any given human at most writing tasks, but it's yeah. not better than any professional in any given situation. Right. Not yet. So yeah. <laughs> it's, it's somewhere in between. So for those people who are average, you know, who just, who aren't professional writers, they're not experts in, I don't know, social media or SEO or, you know, physics or whatever it is, yep. the experts are still going to be able to write better copy and to write better about that topic. But for anybody who wants to talk about that, that's not an expert, I think AI is already better than most of them. Yeah, no, that's, that's, that's fair. And it probably goes across industry, right? So going back to, you know, our bread and butter of analytics, it's like, so we are, we are experimenting with AI as well to improve the SEO workflows for search engine professionals, because there, as you know, like when you're, when you're doing analysis, a lot of it is just a bunch of noise and you're looking for the signal from the noise and that takes a lot of time. And, you know, this has been around for a while where you start training ML models and, and now AI to just spot those, those trends. Cause machines are just so good at doing that or much faster than, than humans. But that's the thing too, is like, if you're a junior analyst, you're probably going to get the obvious stuff. If you're an advanced analyst, you skip all the obvious stuff and start asking like the really deep question. And so you already know where to go look. And, and an AI is probably right now somewhere in the middle as well. Cause it's, it's predominantly just saying, well, you told me to optimize for this. So I'm going to look for everything. And you might find even some weird outliers that make absolutely no sense. And it can't even make sense of, but eventually it probably will get better and, and, and it will save our time. And, and what I'm hoping is that, you know, like, yes, there's a lot of debate right now about how many jobs will replace, but I tend to be on the optimist side of yes, jobs will be replaced, but new jobs will come up, you know, funny enough, I just watched the, <laughs> you, 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 people can't see you, but you gave me the skeptical look. Well, I just watched Charlie and Cho Charlie and the chocolate factory. That's started my kid. And, uh, you know, the dad gets fired from the factory where he's putting tooth toothpaste caps on because a machine came in and then he just got the job to, to fix the toothpaste machine. Yeah. I don't know for how long we'll, we'll be able to keep getting new jobs. Maybe eventually we won't have to work at all. And like, I, I like the idea that yes, AI does everything and we just have to figure out, you know, universal income where we could just go and do creative. And then yeah. all of a sudden like human made content, human made analysis, human made cups or whatever becomes like really niche and that's what you want as opposed to, oh, well, anybody can get the AI generated stuff. The example I always use is hatters. There used to be thousands and tens of thousands of hatters because everybody wore them and you had to make them by hand. Then all of a sudden you got all these machines that can make hats automatically and it doesn't mean there aren't any hatters left. There's just a handful of very highly skilled artisans that do that thing. And I think that's yeah. ultimately where we'll end up across a lot of it. It's interesting you talked about that 
the the Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, because that example is the has been the the example everybody's used sort of as the 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 past the historical revolutions, yeah. but they've mainly been physical related to physical right. work. So it's building right. a machine that can replace a human to do physical work because it's a repetitive task and that sort of thing. This is the first time anything's come for knowledge work because right. a lot of those people that got displaced from those jobs went into knowledge type work. So they went into that, what we would say is, I guess, white collar work sure. as opposed to blue collar work. And historically that's what's happened. But now AI is coming for the smart people. And that's never happened before. And I think that's what's really interesting slash scary about the whole thing. And it's it's not going to affect me and you. I think in people our age who, you know, are sort of further along in our career, we're, we're experienced, we know what we're doing already. What it will do, though, is, you know, you and I have both already talked about using it to support what we do. Maybe it's summarizing information or it's giving us inspiration and that sort of thing. And it makes us more efficient and it makes us able to get through a lot more work a lot faster. But what that means is, is I don't have to hire an assistant now. Yeah. I can do it myself and I can have AI support my activity. And there's going to be this slow sort of erosion over time where what we're going to see is eventually there aren't going to be any junior people to fill, to backfill the roles that we might need them to do. For sure. We won't need them anyway. Yeah. <laughs> That is, you know, that is a, a huge concern. It's interesting. Um, I think I heard a term like universal personal intern, you know, like that's, that's basically what these AIs are becoming. And yeah, at what point do you not need actual personal interns or, or even the interns at your company? Because yeah, they, they're not professional level or they're not like, you know, like uh, experienced level, but they're definitely at the junior and even like associate level. Um, you know, two to five years experience type person. And it's almost like, Ooh, wow. Okay. Well, you know, do I fork out, you know, the, the salary for this or, you know, basically just everybody has their own AI assistant. And I think, again, I have to fall back to the optimistic side, and even though you're right, like this isn't manual labor, this is knowledge work. And, and it kind of does even like you, you think specialist jobs, the people who have created AI engineers, and now it's like AI not only can help you write your code, but it's just going to write its own code for you. So um, it, it does kind of be like, oh, okay, well, what do all these you know, really smart engineers do? But again, that, that deduction capability, um, that reasoning capability is going to be a while for AI to pick up. And the biggest reason, I think, which maybe this is getting to, I don't know, existential and all that stuff, but nah, go the whole... Yeah, I mean, like the whole the whole reason we're creating this is, you know, is to help humanity and because we can create meaning. It's very difficult for now, <laughs> I think, for AI to, to create meaning without us. Yeah. Like it, you know, and almost like I think you can have fun with ChatGPT and be like, why do you exist? And why do you think you exist? You know, and it'll it'll respond back and it'll it'll do some clever things. But you know, that's I think the beauty of it is like if the end goal is, well, fine. We, we have these machines. We don't need junior workers coming out of university. Let's funnel those junior workers, pay them a universal wage anyways, because guess what? It's so much cheaper nowadays to to do anything in business. Let's just use that money. I, this is this is a huge topic where like, wow, we can yeah, really get yeah. controversial here. But no, it's like, okay. you know, if we start moving away from this like growth at all costs mentality and capitalism at all costs mentality and start saying, well, okay, fine. 
we still have the power to do growth and drive the economy because now we have all this additional capacity and we don't necessarily need workers. Let's follow that money. And then they, I think people will eventually find their meanings and like what that means from a day-to-day activity. Like I don't think people just twiddle their thumbs all day. Maybe they will just doom scrolling on, on the latest social media that AI is, is, is pushing on us. But I, again, I, maybe I'm just being optimistic and naive, but I think there, there will be different directions that people take and it just will look different um, like it always does. At least I'm hoping. So here's a question. You have a young son who's just starting primary school. So what advice are you going to give your young son when he gets older, do you think? Well, first of all, like, thanks for the making me feel bad as a parent because I haven't really given a lot of thought to this. I guess, yeah, as a six-year-old, I still have a little bit of time. But interestingly enough, I when I did give a little bit of thought to that, like what are the jobs of the future, at least in the immediate future for people, I love the concept of traits, knowledge. And even if that doesn't become like your actual full-time job, more understanding and more skills back in the physical world, I think will definitely pay dividends very quickly and easily. I do tend to agree with you, even with, you know, Boston dynamics, you got robots that jump around and flip around. You still right now for at least the next 30, 50 years are probably going to need a plumber. You're still going to need an electrician. Um, yep. And in fact, like, yes, and it kind of goes back to what we were saying earlier. It's like, yes, robots probably will be able to cook you food quite quickly and, and, and efficiently. And it might even taste really good, like five-star Michelin chef. But it's that like Hatter example you gave. It was like, yeah, but I kind of want the taste and feel of a human doing it. And like, um, so physical work is, is definitely something that I will try to encourage him. I, I, I'm a big fan of encouraging his creativity. And he already loves to sing and dance and music and like, he picked up my acoustic guitar one day and just started making his own song. And like, it actually sounded good. I was like, wow, wait, is it, are you trying to redo awesome. something that you said? I said, no, I'm just, I mean, he wasn't actually strumming chords or like hitting every, every note, but yeah, like that's the, that's the thing. And, and on that side, the creative side, I think it's worth mentioning as well, because that's a huge debate right now. And, you know, you've got deep fakes coming out and all that type of stuff. And I saw, I saw a meme that was kind of disheartening or a message on Instagram where it was like some, something like, Oh, you know, AI uh, creating poems and songs while humans work for sub-minimum wage is not the future I, I was looking for. I agree completely. Like, that's not the future anybody wants. But I think we're still really early days. And yes, we are seeing the way people, are, you know, are, are kind of recreating the Beatles, like a, a whole new Beatles album without the actual Beatles or, you know. And I think that there's a lot of interesting stuff in there. But we... It's a tool. And I think if artists can embrace it, if industries can embrace it in the sense of how does this make what we want to do creatively even better and work, you know, in symbiosis, I guess, with with the with the AI, I think we'll we'll have new levels of art and new levels of creativity that that will drive people. And I think that that will translate to the tech and business world as well. I think sciences, like this is one of the things that I'm most interested in. I wish I was a bit more involved in even like AI is going to be great at detecting cancer. AI is going to be great at, you know, helping us battle Alzheimer's. AI is going to be great. It's like all these things that take too much human brain power and, and time now gets shrunken down. And we haven't even touched on a subject, but when you, when we crack um, quantum computing, yeah, when we crack quantum computing and pair that with AI, that's a whole different level of scary. Whole but, different, <laughs> whole different, whole level. different and it's something scary, I want to touch but, on actually in yeah. No, it's something I've thought about is doing a, a sort of sister podcast that talks about quantum because I think there's sure. a, there there are only a few podcasts out at the minute that even talk about it, but we are getting to the point now where it's becoming more real. 
Yes. And I've never found anybody that could actually explain it where it makes any sense because they just all end up talking about these really crazy ideas and yeah, you're like, so okay, but what's the practical application? So like I think that could be a fun position, podcast series just to try and get different people to explain it because it almost turned into comedy, I think. But anyway. Yeah, no, I mean, there's there's a great fiction book, although it doesn't feel like fiction to be honest with you, called After On. And it's probably about three or four years on. I can't remember the author's name, but I'm really sorry. I follow him on Twitter, but I'll look, it, look it up in the yeah. show notes. Exactly. But it's wonderful. And, and especially right now, like it, it might freak people out, but because it, it talks about like how an AI kind of gets out of the box, you know, you know, once it, once it got into quantum computing as well. And there's some, there's some really good explanations in that book about quantum computing in like layman's terms where you don't have to have a physics degree to understand. What do you mean, you know, this, this bit can be in two different places at one time and they are even across the galaxy. Like that doesn't make any sense. To me. Of course, none of it makes sense. But yeah, once we crack that, I think like in science, like we're still going to, I joked around like, yeah, please put me in a robot nursing home because I don't really want to trust humans when I'll really I'd much rather have a, a machine that, you know, doesn't mind changing my, my dirty diapers or whatever. But I think we'll still want like human touch and we'll still want kind of bedside manner and all that stuff. But again, coming back, we still wanted to have meaning as a human. And that's why like robots might struggle with that for a long time anyways. So yeah, it's a tough, de it's a tough decision. And I tend to kind of be a go with, with the flow type of guy. So um for better or worse, let, let's hope that, yeah, let's hope that there are options for, for all of us, including my so our kids. I, I wrote down a couple of notes while we were talking a minute ago. There's there's two different things that have come up that I think would be worth just mentioning quickly. One of them is, let's do this, let's do the Spotify one first. So I was at the podcast show last week and Spotify made an announcement that they're now going to, well, at some point, I don't think it's released yet, but soon they're going to release a tool where you'll be able to create an ad using anyone's voice that you want. So if you want to create an ad and have Joe Rogan's voice read it for you, you'll be able to do that. Yeah. And it will be officially like sponsored. So Joe Rogan sense. will actually get royalties if anybody right. uses his voice. So there will be a formal way. So it's not like they're going behind anyone's back. It's sure. if you want people to be able to use your voice, you can register to have them create ads. And then anybody can create an ad, which I think is, is that goes back to the sort of, you, you know, the discussion where we were talking about, you know, deep fakes and things. It's like, it's actually going to become a, a thing. So you're going to hear ads from all sorts of people and, and, you know, you'll just know that they're probably getting you know, some sort of royalty in the background, which I think is, is quite That's brilliant. That's really yeah. actually, and a buzzword we haven't thrown out yet is crypto or like, um, you know, the, the concept of blockchain. Cause I think that's another wonderful thing to marry with this is that, yeah, back in the day of Napster, they started again, they tried to regulate it, right? They're like, we're going to take people to court. You copy stuff. But I love that Spotify is embracing the fact that, well, we can put a watermark on this. We can put, you know, a blockchain value on this to say, Oh yeah, this is definitely Joe Rogan's voice, and every time it gets used, we're gonna pay royalties to Joe Rogan. And yeah, like that's a much better creative approach to get in front of a problem than just saying, "Oh, if you ever use someone's likeness or you know image, then like you're gonna go to court and you're gonna go to jail and all stuff." Like, well, why not? Like, we have the technology now to track things across exactly. Everywhere. So let's use that to yeah to to help. So, that's I brilliant. should probably throw a disclaimer in there. I don't know if Joe Rogan specifically is on the platform. <laughs> I'm just Joe. using yeah. that as an example of someone who's well-known online. So well, is, anybody come after me if it's not so, there. Yeah. So, And he is on Spotify, so I assume yeah. he would be one of those. So yeah, I thought that was quite interesting. I also think a lot of the 
the stuff that's being done with Midjourney and that kind of thing around imaging, quite frankly, anybody who's halfway skilled at using Photoshop could have done a lot of that stuff anyway. It's just it just yeah. opens it out to the masses and makes it a lot easier for people with without skills or with fewer skills to be able to do volume operations. Yeah, like yeah. So, so I think you know that's that's part of that. The other thing I want to go back to as well, which is I wanted to talk about because it's come up a few times, and I think that you and I are pretty familiar with this because we've been using machine learning for a long time, and data and data analytics has used machine learning for decades. Yeah. That's not a new thing. And this whole idea that a lot of the machine learning companies are actually saying, oh, we've got AI. It's not 98% of the stuff that's being called AI at the minute is not artificial intelligence. No. It's simple machine learning. It wasn't clippy AI. <laughs> it's not it's not sexy, right? And yeah. somebody said it. I was at a I was at an event in Oxford not too long ago and you know they said um the guy said it's well when you're talking to people within the industry it's machine learning but when you're trying to sell it it's ai and um you know so and i say that all the time and, and people yeah. who listen to the podcast have probably heard me say it every time but it, it's true we're not anywhere close really to what i would consider is artificial intelligence which is software being able to come up with new ideas on its own and act without any impetus from anyone else yeah. and so it's just machine learning yeah, I, I completely agree. I love that. I use that quote all the time as well. Yeah, like if you're trying to sell something, it's AI or trying to get investors, it's AI. Yeah. Um, when you're trying to like do some user stories and actually do something internal, it's machine learning. But when you're actually talking to your engineers, it's just statistical modeling and regression <laughs> or regression analysis. Like, exactly. Okay, you know, yeah, like I, I think, you know, the, the interface that ChatGPT has given the world is a, is a big step forward because that starts to go down the path of, you know, the AI having to like take a prompt and think for itself and, and be a bit more creative than machine learning, which is just really optimizing again, like statistics, you know, we, we've had these statistical models for centuries now, almost like, uh, you know, which, which is what I've spent most of my time on. And that's already really predictive enough. And that's why for so long we have been using it. Like I, you know, a little shout out to myself, just, as I'm a really passionate person for the world, I decided to apply my knowledge of machine learning and data to the most important subject, which is sports gambling. No, I can't. Yeah, it always makes me feel bad that I, I wasn't doing a bit more something a bit more altruistic. But there's just so much data with sports, so that's why I chose it to kind of teach myself about. But yeah, I was just amazed, like with my kind of limited knowledge, limited resources. Yes, of course, I can predict you know, the outcomes of a sporting event or a horse race, let's say 55% of the time, which is pretty cool. And like, I, I trust you, I'm not a millionaire. I'm not making tons of money off this. I'm too scared yeah. to do that. It is wrong sometimes as well. And like, and the bookies are, are also quite on to this as well. So they're not going to just, you know, price. Well, they're it. using their own models. Exactly. So, and have you know. been for decades and decades. Cause I used to, you know, I used to work with, with in the gaming industry and in the, and the, and the betting, the sports betting industry as well. So for them doing the odds behind the scenes, there was a, a huge human element to it, but they've been using machine learning for ages. Yeah. And so, you know, and that predictive nature of it though is is so strong already at the ML model. Now taking the next leap is ridiculously hard and like, or not ridiculously hard, it's getting easier. And the, the software, the hardware is actually getting better, right? Like we can actually process things. The data can be processed much faster. AI 
multiple of these like neural nets can be running at the same time. And, and, and when you start getting to the place where, you know, I think AlphaGo was probably the, one of the greatest example where you don't tell it like, go learn how to play go and, and become the best. You just say, learn how to learn, you know? Oh, and then we're going to give you an exercise like, okay, try to get good at this game, go. That's pretty, that's when you start getting to AI, but that's not so easy to do, you know, and you need, and again, it, it comes back to garbage in, garbage out. And like, you have to have the basics down, right? And I think, yes, it, it's still like for individual companies to get things off the ground, even if you're enterprise size, I saw it firsthand, like it was a lot of hard work. There's a lot, there's a lot of organizational problems to overcome still before you can actually even get um, proper tech. But but people are doing it and, you know, it, it can feel like a slog sometime and, and hopefully we do start overcoming it. And yeah, I, I would like to see, I think maybe all this interest actually helps the tooling around getting good data pipelines and it helps um, get more people in, into getting to that place where we can have AI that learns to learn rather than optimize for, you know, a paperclip or, um, <laughs> or whatever it is, you know. So did you see that Japan just made a ruling that training AI models is not subject to copyright. So that means that in Japan, you can train any model on any content and the content owners can't claim any copyright infringement against that, for which training, I thought was yeah. for training purposes, which I thought yep. was quite interesting. And again, I think there's a lot of people who don't understand how these models actually work, which is why I'd like right. to do a little mini series on it to at least to be able to refer people back to it if they're not sure how it works because you should, yeah. it's not the tools don't go and copy someone's content that's not how they work what it does is it analyzes the relationship between words yep. around a given topic and then when you ask it about that topic it can just recreate some of the words but it does it in a random way so if you actually i mean at least the times i've done it if you if you get chat GPT to create a summary of something. And then you put that into a plagiarism checker. It never comes back with anything yeah. more than a couple of words at a time. So two or three words in a, in a row. It's not the tool doesn't go out and say, oh, I'm going to copy this thought or this yeah. content from, from Mike. It says, I'm just putting a bunch of random words together that are likely to, yeah, to be correct around this topic. So we want to personify these things, but really it's just math, right? So it's saying it's just I'm math. assigning values to this word. And when I see, you know, certain patterns, I'm going to reassign them. And, and yeah, it, it, exactly. It's synthesizing based off of the way it's learned because we've given it rewards basically to say, yes, you did it right this time. No, you did it wrong this time. And you do that millions and billions of times. And eventually it's like, oh, this is how you want me to do it. So like, yeah, it, it gets better at doing that. And, or yeah, it itself rewards itself type thing. So yeah, that that's fascinating. But yeah, I, I I didn't hear about the Japan thing, but Adobe. And again, this comes down to like, oh, how do you use regulations? <laughs> keep you know, keep your business going. But Adobe is doing the same thing where they're like trying to push for the regulation to say, yeah, you shouldn't allow copyright images. But again, they have they have a stock of you know millions of images of their own. So why wouldn't they want to push for that regulation and say, well, yeah, and you can have you know royalty free images or like Adobe. Uh, images and, and it'll be generative and you don't have to worry about using anyone else's. But yeah, I think again, that argument, you know, like you said, anyone with decent Photoshop skills, anyone who could paint really well, like, you know, come on, you know, ripoffs of artwork have been a thing forever. And like, you're, it's almost like a, you're paying homage. Like if you're, I can't remember the exact expression. So I think I heard this on like the strategic podcast or something like that, but it's like, 
if you're an artist that matters, you're going to get copied anyways. And if you're an artist that kind of doesn't matter yet, well, don't even sure matter that you're going to get copied. So, like, yeah, you know, so it's almost exactly. like, yeah, you're going to get copied anyways. And like, that's almost like just more branding for you and more PR for you anyways. But um, yeah, and then if we can figure out how to make sure you get paid, like that's that's really cool. Again, I think it's there, there's a lot about misunderstanding how the technology works. And I think that's a big part of it. It's just going to take time. We're, look, we're at very early days still. I think one of the reasons I spoke to a guy who's called the AI guy, apparently he's he's a sort of international keynote speaker and he's written several books on AI and that sort of thing. And we were talking day before yesterday. And one of the questions I asked him was, why now? No. You know, this is, again, we know that machine learning and these sort of routines have been around for, for decades. You know, why why did it come out now? And I think Sam Altman said this as well, is the reason they sort of put it out now is because it, they wanted to get it out there to start this discussion before it gets more powerful. Yeah. Because if they did a few more iterations of it and trained it even more and then released it, it would very it would be much more powerful and it would have a much bigger impact much faster. I think they wanted to put it out while it was still a bit janky and sure. didn't wasn't perfect because they could sort of fire a warning shot across the bow to say, hey, this is coming yeah. and we need to start thinking about this stuff. I suspect that if they're actually worried about it, the stuff that they've seen in in testing and behind yeah. the scenes is probably part of the reason. And they're probably a bit freaked out as well going, yeah, okay, we need to start talking about this because well, yeah. the bad actors, if there are bad actors out there, those bad actors or those people who want to act against us have capacity to do all sorts of things that we just haven't even we haven't even thought about yet yeah it's it, i'm glad they i'm glad they, they did it i think there's probably ai happening even right now or like the the individual ai that is behind the scenes and we don't even really notice it i know you know there's definitely like operations ai out there that companies are using to to improve like say their warehouse and all that type of stuff and and yet a lot of people, even though ChatGPT has come out and like they're kind of like, oh, it kind of hurts something about that. They still don't know. So I think, you know, another reason why I was really excited to be on this podcast is, yeah, like I'm not the super expert on AI, but I want to have these conversations and and I want other people to to start having these conversations because yeah, the, the more we talk about it now, the more ahead of it we can get, and we're not going to get it right, and you know, it's fine, but at least at least we're, we're trying to do something, you know, and and yeah, and let's see. I mean. It, it is very early days or at least early days of mass usage, right? Like, yeah, I mean, it, it's been something that we've been working on as a, as a species for a while. At the end of the day, um, we're probably just as bad at everything else anyway. <laughs> it's like, um, this is just, just be another <laughs> yeah. one of those, you know, human historical things that, oh, what, you know, if an alien race was looking down, like, wow, they, they, well, alien race might have AI as well, but yeah, you might, we might look back and say, what the hell are we thinking when we, when we launched this? But, and with um, hindsight, it'll seem yeah. completely obvious that we missed the, yeah, there'll be yeah. some glaring thing that all of us missed, like social media, you know, the side yeah. effect of social media and the whole internet. The internet was yeah. about sharing information and, and people knew in the very beginning that it had the potential to be disruptive, but they could have never predicted how social media has worked out and yeah. You know, again, how many bad actors can can actively use social media against other groups to sway opinion and to try and make things happen and that sort of thing. I think, ironically, p 
people worry about AI being used on social media to try and, you know, sort of influence people and to change their opinions and stuff. I think yeah. what's going to happen is just that it's going to completely devalue social media to the point that no one's going to be interested in it anymore because they're not going to be able to trust anything that's on it. And I think that's going to be really interesting because it's almost going to, that's my prediction. So we'll, we'll see how it, how it goes over maybe the next sort of five or 10 years. But I, I mean, I'm already getting to the point that you can tell that it seems like about half of Twitter is now just bots and the same people posting the same content that's, that appears to have been written by AI. And so if you get to the point where there aren't any really any humans on that interacting anyway, then it just becomes less useful. Maybe that will actually be good for us as a human race if we all just go, well, forget social media because it's all AI. That's right. And I think one last point on that is it's kind of relevant. It's like the power of competition. And I don't think even AI can escape the power of like competitive attention, competitive nature of things where like, if your AI does something that is not as good as someone else's AI, well, it doesn't matter how powerful it is because at the end of the day, the you know the the competition basically decides where things go, and and that's something that people need to pay attention to as well because some jobs may be replaced, some the, the way we interact with the internet and social media may be maybe changing and all that type of stuff. But at the end of the day, like and and again, not not too philosophical or economics driven, but like free marketplace, meaning if you don't like the way something is, like it's easier now than ever um, to, to change it and to, to do something competing. I mean, we didn't touch a lot, a lot on this, but I'm, I'm a big fan of open source software. And I think that's a huge, um, that's a wonderful, I think, addition to like the world of technology is the fact that not everything has to be proprietary and behind corporate doors. This is out there. And yes, that can be dangerous, you know, that, that can mean that bad actors have the same access to the same technology, but it lets us kind of all contribute and all improve certain technologies or whoever wants to at least. And it, and also gives us that that kind of leveling of playing field so that it's not just you have to have a lot of money, you have to have a big corporate behind you. If you're really interested, you can start tinkering around. And now like it's getting cheaper and cheaper and, and Google provides free resources that if you want to work, try to run your own machine learning models and even get into AI, like to a certain level, you can start doing it for free, and and so I encourage people like to yeah to to be that competitor that competitor that actually tries to make things better, you know, or or uh, yeah, but yeah, it's it's all there for the taking, and we'll see how it all plays out. It is, and yeah. you know, at the minute, again, like you said, you know, anybody with a laptop can start to train a small model, do it themselves, work on it for a bit, and then when they're ready to release it onto the world, they can sign up for a free account with AWS and have essentially unlimited compute. To be able to do that. And there will certainly be negatives to that, but there will also be positives to that as well. Awesome. I'm conscious of time. We're almost at an hour. There are several things that we didn't touch on, I think, still. So open source is one. I think you've talked a little bit about medicine and things like that. And I've, I've been to some really interesting conferences and presentations where they've talked about the use of machine learning and, and in medicine and things, particularly in radiology and the scanning and things, because software can see to a much higher resolution than a human can. And, and there's some really interesting stuff there. So I'd love to have you back again sometime in the future. So you're more than welcome to come and have a chat anytime. And uh, is there anything that you would like to promote or do you have anything that you want to you want to say or promote? Yeah, I mean, the only thing is that I'm, I'm very, yeah, I'd be happy to come back on. And, and part of that, if anyone that's listening, you know, wants to have more of a conversation or just, you know, would like to see how, how AI could 
potentially impact their industry or their their business um, or even their you know their personal life or something like that. I, I'm curious about use cases and, and I, I would like to have these conversations. So I'm happy for anyone to reach out on on LinkedIn, right? And um, you know, not, nothing specific to promote other than um, yeah, let's have a chat. Cool. I will put all of your information and stuff in the show notes. So anybody who wants to find that. And uh, Mike, thank you very much for your time today. And it was uh, really good getting to catch up with you. I'm really glad we had a chance to do that. And uh, hopefully we'll speak to you again soon. Thanks, David. I really enjoyed it. Okay, folks, that's a wrap on another amazing episode of Creatives with AI. Thanks so much for joining us today. We really hope you enjoyed the conversation as much as we did. If you want to stay up to date on how all things related to AI is impacting the creative industries, then be sure to subscribe to the podcast on whatever your favorite platform is. We're on them all. And follow us on social media. We're on mainly Twitter and LinkedIn, but we're the same handle everywhere, which is at Creatives with AI. We'd also really appreciate it if you could just take a minute to leave a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Those are our two main platforms and it really helps other listeners find the show and it also helps us get more popularity and more exposure. So it'd be amazing if you could help us with that. If you've got any questions, topic suggestions, guest recommendations, feel free to send us an email. The best email is hello at creativeswith.ai or you can shoot us a message on social media. Either one is fine. We love hearing from all of you and we can't wait to bring more exciting episodes in the future. And the best way we can do that is to get feedback from the audience and have the audience tell us who it is you'd like to hear from and what things you'd like us to ask and what topics you'd like us to talk about. So please use that. Let us know what you want to hear and we'll do our best to get it for you. And last but not least, we'd like to give a shout out to our sponsor, Future Hand Limited, who make this podcast possible. Your support means the world to us. And we really appreciate it. So thanks very much. That's it for today. So until next time, take care, everybody, and stay curious.